0: Welcome to the Life Course Podcast from the ESRC, International Centre for Life Course Studies at UCL. I'm Chris Garrington. In today's episode, we're asking whether there's a link between the state of someone's health and whether or not they vote in elections. My guest is Dr Thierry Gagnier, who's been researching this using data from two British birth cohort studies.
1: The idea that everyone should be healthy is not enough of a selling point anymore when trying to advocate for public policies towards like disease prevention and health promotion. And public health researchers, I think, are trying to find new arguments or new ways to think how we should make this argument compelling. The most common one is economics, so saying that smoking, mental health, like costs billions of pounds every year. Some of the martyr researchers are able to show in new ways through other non-health related, but not health outcomes, how public health is important. right? And so one example would be voter turnout. And the first time I was exposed to this argument was, uh, there was this paper that came out about three, four years ago, and that looked at um, uh, differences in mortality between uh, white and black Americans. So what they found is that even though it would not have defined uh, national elections in the US, it would have probably shifted state-level elections if there were no inequalities and there would be as many black as uh, white Americans that were alive, and uh, especially because nine, more than 90% of them vote for the Democratic Party in the U.S., so uh, uh, so with these two things, the, the uh, that uh, that voter turnout is uh, might be relevant as a, a, a pro public health argument. I figured well. I'm in the UK, we have access to these nice data sets, and uh, what about I just contribute to this this, um, field?
0: Yeah, interesting one. So what do we know already then about how being in poor health affects whether or not people do turn out and vote? Mm -hmm.
1: So we know that uh, uh, self-rated health is likely to be associated with voter turnout. A number of countries, uh, um, uh, Western countries, including the United Kingdom, We know that this extends to uh, physical and mental disabilities and uh, also likely certain mental conditions like depression what we don't know first is is it causal is it something else that explains this association is it something about how the unhealthy and the healthy people are that's that explains this association the second one is we don't know how robust or how stable it is, like is it different across countries or um, like between different political system or within countries across electoral contexts, that in one election this association would be stronger or whatnot. So and the third one is also like the mechanisms through which So, if we accept that the, those who are less healthy vote less, then why is that so? Is it because people are are, um, are in crutches and have a hard time going out and voting, or is it more complex? So these are the three things that we still, in 2020, uh, still need to go on and study.
0: Yeah, understood. So what did you want to look at specifically and why, then, in, in, in your piece of research?
1: Right. So because I care about uh, the life course and our social inequalities change over the, the over different life periods. One of the key aspects that I found was lacking in the literature was looking at how the same association between health and voting can change with age, so by following the same people over time. And also because surveys that collect information both on health and voting are rare, a lot of the evidence out there is based on cross-sectional studies that have a lot of methodological limitations. So, so the two points, we're just looking at age differences. So at the age of 20 or at the age of 50, is that association the same? And uh, if we use good data sets and good methods, uh, can we replicate that association using the most robust method we could use.
0: So on that note, you've mentioned the importance of rich data, the importance of good data. Where did you get your information from?
1: I used data from two British birth cohorts, the Fifty-Eight National Child Development Study and the 1970 British Cohort Study. So in one week, in 58 and in 70, doctors and nurses recruited almost the, the parents of almost all the babies born in a single week, so about 17,000 each time scientists have been lucky that we have, uh, funding agencies have supported that we followed them these babies over the courses of their life and they've been followed let's say every 4 to 7 years then the 58 cohort they've been followed up to the age of 55 and the 70 cohort have, we followed them until 46 and 48 and in this project I've, I've used that until they were age 42 in their adulthood we can build uh, on multiple data points to see that if whether at the age of t- 23, 30, 40, 50, if the association between their health and whether they voted is the same. There are relatively very, very, very few data sets in the Western world that have, that have this kind of information that has followed people over time that allows us to do these kinds or answer these kinds of questions with the most robust methods that we can.
0: What sorts of specific questions were people then asked? Obviously, they were asked whether they they voted, things like that. But what 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 more specifically than that? That made it possible for you to explore these links between whether they voted and what their health was like.
1: Mm-hmm. The main outcome was: Did you vote in the last election? One thing that was important for this project is that uh, with the kind of methods that we used to parse out to parse out, or at least to to support whether it would it would tend toward causality and not just an association, we needed. Uh, information that was repeatedly asked over time. So especially for the health outcome, we were lucky that, um, say, asking if someone has voted in the last election is pretty simple, but there's a lot of health measures that have been collected in these data sets. Unfortunately, they haven't been measured repeatedly over time. Uh, I've used two measures that were measured consistently over their lives. The first one was uh, different measures related to self-rated health. So let's say compared to other people your age, uh, how will you rate your health from very poor to excellent? And the other one was um, different, different me- um, questions related to uh, limitations or at least physical limitations in regard to everyday activities. Things like uh, say, do you have trouble walking upstairs or things like that. And also, because of the multidisciplinary nature of the questions that were asked over time in these courts, I could also use questions like, um, I think in young adulthood they were asked, do you intend to vote in future elections? So you could also use the, this information to parse out, um, even taking into account, into account the fact that people might not want to vote. Beyond that, is there an association between health and voting? So um, these are called control variables. So we yeah. could also account for, a ton of these control variables, so that their education, etc.
0: Yeah, all of their background and all of that sort of stuff is that all of that information is is readily Even available.
1: Even like their birth weight. Yeah. Like most, like most social surveys don't have information on these, like their birth circumstances. So that's also an another layer of uh, methodological quality.
0: Did you find then, as you I think you anticipated that you would, that people who said their health wasn't good. Were less likely to vote than their healthier peers, and was that the same across for for, for both of the cohorts that you looked look, looked at?
1: Yeah, so that was our least surprising finding. So we found a cos- consistent association between self-rated health, so reporting that your health is is uh, poor, very poor, and uh, your uh, probability or your propensity to have voted in the last election, and um, and we found a, gra- uh, a gradient-like association. So, if you f- so those who felt that their health was poorest had the lowest probability of voting, while those who rated uh, it as fair instead of good or excellent also reported a lower probability. Also, one of the interesting findings is that this association was uh, stronger in the 70 cohort than in the 58 cohort, so in the younger cohort, and um, so slightly stronger. One of the theories is that when people uh, born in 70 became adults that could vote, it was around the time or just before the time that Tony Blair won the elections. So that started in the late 90s and uh, I think in the beginning of the 2000s. They experienced their first political, or at least their first uh, opportunities to vote in a context where uh, people were getting disengaged from politics or bored out. And I think that in a context where voter turnout is low, and people are not expected to vote out because it's not an exciting election, that resources such as your physical capacity, or your time, or your availability, or resources like that matter more to actually whether you go out and vote. Because there's there's not this societal excitement to to, to say come, oh, I, I, I'll make a difference or this is important, I need to go out and vote. Resources such as health matter more. That might be part of the reason why uh, this in the 70 cohort health, was the, this association was slightly stronger.
0: Yeah, so the timing and context were quite important as well. But and what about those people who talked about being limited in their everyday activities, like you said, you know, the carrying shopping or the walking upstairs, those sorts of things? Was it the same story for them as mm-hmm. well?
1: So that was the first of our two surprising findings, is that we, um, we did not find a significant association when controlling for or accounting for other characteristic between uh, reporting limitations in everyday activities mm-hmm. and voting. We need to do more research yeah, before being sure about this lack of association first because this asso- uh, this, the, the, the concept of reporting limitations in your everyday activities changes with age. So at the age of 20, if you're reporting limitations, probably that you're living with a larger disability, right? because you're comparing yourself with people who are your age, right? And uh, at a life period where most are very healthy. And in comparison, as people grow older and develop work-related problems um, or health issues, what is expected at, at, let's say, the age of 50 changes. So at that age, you might be more likely to report having limitations in everyday activities, but they are not the same that what you would expect at the age of 20. So because of that, it might be that we underestimate with the question of do you do you have limitations in every activity, we might underestimate people who have larger limitations. Mm. So especially people with physical disabilities or things like that. So we might underestimate the this, the magnitude of this association.
0: You also want to see whether age played an important role in all of this. What what did you find there? Yeah.
1: So that was the second of our surprising findings. So in when we started this project, what we g- were getting a sense of is that. This association was likely to increase with age and be larger in older adults. Let's say starting at the age of fifty and more, because uh, we are we figured that health was not enough, or health was a bigger limitation in the everyday life of older adults who needed health to be to, to in order to be able to do the other thing to do uh, everyday activities, including going out and voting. This was replicated in some of the uh, early evidence that we found that. In, um, and also both for uh, self-rated health studies and also disability studies that found in, that in general uh, associations were much larger in older adults' samples. What we found, and uh, we were following people between their 20s and their 50s, is that we were, we were founding very large associations towards the age of 20, or at least twen- uh, 23 and uh, 30, and we, fu- we didn't found as much large associations up to the age of 50. So um, what does that mean is that, uh, again, it's, it's only one study, but we, it might follow a U-shaped association, meaning that in young adulthood, health is very important because uh, in shaping your first voting experiences, maybe because you're less, it's, it's not became an, an habit yet. And then it starts mattering again later, after the age of 60, when health becomes a a very important resource in in whether you do everyday activities or what kind of activities you do. So, and it went against the hypothesis that we had at the beginning of the study, but it, like in retrospect, makes sense. There's very, very few studies that have looked at health in young adults. In general, because young adults are the healthiest, and older adults are the unhealthiest. So,
0: so what for you, then, Thierry? Would you say are the are the key takeaways uh, from this, and how can the information that you've 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 found out sort of help those who would really like to see voter turnout improve, especially among disadvantaged groups of people who are in poorer health?
1: So, the first one is that uh, health is a resource that is likely to be required to go out and vote. So it's unlikely to be explained by background variables that the healthy and the healthy in our society are, are fundamentally different, and that, that something else might explain this association. We have to, so we have to recognize that it is as a fact. We, we cannot say, oh, it's something else. So the second takeaway would be that if we agree that it's, an, uh, it's a causal association and it's not explained by something else, uh, we have to recognize that if in our society there's health inequalities, and that there's systematic differences across social groups where the socially disadvantaged are more likely to be unhealthy. Then we have to recognize that health is a mechanism through which those who are socially disadvantaged are less likely to vote, and that health contributes to reproduce social inequalities in political representation. So the, the third takeaway is that health is not only affecting the voting uh, or the political behaviors or outcomes of older adults but also the young and I think it's especially important because voting is very habit based so that someone who starts voting get mostly gets on keep to keep on voting over their life course if someone who is young and is unhealthy at, at this point doesn't start voting probably that he won't be voting, not only in that election, but for the rest of their lives. And the fourth one would be that there's already, I think, good work that has been done to recognize that uh, severe limitations and disabilities are uh, a strong barrier to voter turnout and registration and that um, there's already uh, done uh, government work that has been done to try to understand these barriers and try to remove them. But uh, we also have to recognize that everyone who is not the healthiest is less likely to vote. And that a question of how do we address health and how do we address um, barriers to voting should not be only about the one person that is the that are least, least healthy but should be uh, uh, understood as to address the spectrum or the distribution of everyone that is not, uh, uh, are not the most healthy in our society. So that voting is a truly democratic enterprise.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Life Course Podcast, which was presented by me, Chris Gerrington. Health and voting over the course of adulthood, evidence from two British birth cohorts, is researched by Thierry Gagnier, Ingrid Schoon and Amanda Sacker and is published in SSM Population Health.